we have come now to our fifth week in this, our series on the book of Daniel. And uh, we've come today to what is probably the most famous story in the book of Daniel. And it's probably one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. Uh, it's the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And it's because of this story, of course, that there's a lion on that graphic that I've been putting up every week. I realized I could not finish this series on the book of Daniel uh, without talking about this story. This is a story that's a favorite to tell to kids. If you're a millennial and you grew up in the church, there's a good chance that you first had this story told to you by talking vegetables. And uh, you've probably heard it in a lot of other ways, too. In fact, I suspect that if we were give, to give a survey to every Sunday school teacher in America on any given Sunday and ask, hey, what Bible story are you teaching the kids this week? Daniel in the lion's den would always be in the top five. It'd be like one of the best, best hits, greatest hits. And I can't prove that, but I feel pretty confident about that. And if you're familiar with this story at all, it's not hard to figure out why it's so popular. Because this is a story where good triumphs over evil, right, in a very clear way. Uh, Daniel obeys God, and then he gets thrown into a lion's den because he's obeyed God, and then the lions don't hurt him, right? Um, end of story. Great story. It's a feel-good story. And it is a great story, and it should inspire and encourage us. But as I was preparing for this message, it occurred to me it is so important not to present this story simplistically. Many of us, as kids, we heard this story in a very simple way, and what we took away from it was basically, be good, and if you are good, no harm will come to you. And you can only hold on to that view of things for so long before your awareness of history or your own personal experience starts to come in conflict with that, and you experience some cognitive dissonance over that. So my goal this morning is to help us avoid that simplistic understanding of this story that can then later disappoint us. So I'm going to do something a little different. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, and it's okay, it's okay if you laugh at this a little bit. As we read this story, I'm going to identify the bad news in this story. Normally, we just talk about the good news. I'm going to identify the bad news. If you are taking notes, you'll see you have an outline. It says the bad news in Daniel chapter 6. So we'll start with the bad news, and then eventually we'll get to the good news. So if you want to follow along, you can turn in your own Bible now to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. And uh, if you'll bow your heads with me, I will say a quick prayer for us to get us started. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the chance to come together and to look at your word together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see this story the way that you want us to see it, Lord. I pray that you'd give us insight into what we read. And Lord, we also uh, come before you right now as a community and we, we grieve uh, the loss of Kenneth Brown. We ask that you would be with Dorothy this morning and in the coming days um, as she processes what's happened and grieves, Lord. 
And we thank you, Lord, that we do not grieve like those who have no hope. And we pray, Lord, that as we read this story, we would be reminded of that, Lord, uh, that we have a, a powerful hope in the midst of difficult circumstances, in the worst of circumstances, Lord, a hope that transcends all of that. Focus our attention on you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now, before we get into the text here, I want to remind us of where we were last week. Last week, we were in chapter 5, and you might remember that there was a major shift in power, right? Uh, Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, was slain at the end of the last chapter because the Medo Persian army came into Babylon. They conquered Babylon and they killed the king. And if you were here last week, you know that that series of events was prophesied by this creepy disembodied hand that wrote on the wall, right? So, what the disembodied hand wrote has come true. That has happened, and the new king is this Mede named Darius. Now, if you've been paying attention over this series, hopefully you've noticed that Daniel has been in Babylon for a while now, because we've been through multiple kings at this point. There's been several changes of power. Uh, for a long time, it was King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And we, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar's story, all the stuff that happened with him. Last week, we were hearing about King Belshazzar, and now we're in the time of King Darius. And so you might be wondering, well, how much time has passed? You might remember that when Daniel was first taken from Jerusalem against his will and brought to Babylon, he was a young man, just a young guy. Is he still a young man now? Well, most commentators agree that if you add up the years of these reigns, that Daniel is now about 80 years old. So, not a young man anymore, right, by any stretch of the imagination. He is at least in his 80s at this point. Not only that, but there's evidence that Daniel had actually been in retirement, and then he was pulled out of it. Uh, you know that he was very involved in public service under King Nebuchadnezzar, but by the time we get to King Belshazzar last week, Remember, Belshazzar didn't even really know who Daniel was. The creepy hand wrote on the wall, and he was like, what does this mean? I don't know what it means. And the queen said to him, well, there's this guy in the kingdom, Daniel. He used to work for your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, and he was good at interpreting stuff. So maybe you should ask him. So it appears that Daniel had retired from public life, which would make sense because he was an older guy, right? Um, but even though he was... He had retired, he was summoned by Belshazzar, and then when he interpreted everything correctly, Belshazzar made him the third greatest uh, authority in the land. So whether he liked it or not, now Daniel's back in authority. He's out of retirement. So, I said we'd be identifying the bad news of the story. Here's the first bad news of the story. Just because we're old or retired doesn't mean we get to coast. Just because we're old or retired doesn't mean we get to coast. So many of us have this expectation about how life is supposed to work, right? We have this expectation that there's a period of time in our lives, it's probably most of our lives, where we have to work really hard, right? We have to fight our battles. We fight our battles uh, to, with our career. We fight our battles for our family, for our kids. We, 
uh, fight our battles even for church and the kingdom of God and ministry and all that stuff. But many of us have this expectation that after that fighting of all those battles is over, we get this period of time where we just get to coast, right? We, we just get to play golf. We get to retire and relax. But this story reminds us you don't always get to coast. Right? Sometimes God pulls you out of retirement. Sometimes you get thrown to the lions in your golden years. Right? Sometimes the story that people will tell about your life is something that happens when you're 80-something or 90-something. You know, this is the story that we most remember from Daniel's life, right? It's the, the whole thing with the lions. It's the most popular story. But he was in his 80s when that happened. Okay, So even if we have served God faithfully for our entire lives, there's no guarantee that we get to coast at the end of our lives. Now, the positive side of that is that no matter how old we are, God can still use us. God can still do great things through us. That should be an encouraging thing. But if you've got that desire to retire, coast, take it easy, this might be some bad news for you. Okay? So that's number one. So let's actually get into the story. I know we haven't actually read any of it yet. So um, starting in verse 1, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. So hopefully if you're envisioning a flowchart of the power in the kingdom, you've got Darius at the top, and then three people underneath him who are the administrators, and Daniel's one of them, right? And then 120 satraps underneath those administrators. So Daniel's really high up there, right? Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this... There we go. The administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So this brings us to our second bad news in this story, which is even if we do our work with excellence and integrity, people may hate us. Even if we do our work with excellence and integrity, people may hate us. Daniel, I'm sure, was a human being, which means he was flawed, but we don't learn about any of his flaws in the book of Daniel. Daniel did things right. He didn't take bribes. He didn't lie. He didn't cut corners. He didn't lie on his timesheets. Even after 60-plus years in Babylon, no one could charge Daniel with doing anything wrong. And yet, his peers hated him, right? And they wanted to ruin him. They hated him because he did his job well. They were jealous. And what we need to recognize is if we do our jobs well, if we keep our noses clean, if, we if we're above reproach, that doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly for us, right? You can do everything right, and you can still get sued. And we can do our jobs with integrity and still end up getting pushed out, getting fired, getting laid off. This is the way the world is. Right? So that's bad news number two. Feeling good yet? Right? Are we all uplifted this morning? <laughs> all right, let's keep reading. 
Uh, continuing in verse 5. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. So, this brings us to bad news number three, which is we may have to face the same problem again and again. If you have been here at all for the rest of this series, what happens here should feel like deja vu. Because this is not the first time that a king has issued a decree that is in conflict with the God of Israel. Uh, you might remember that when we looked at chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar issued this decree that everyone had to bow down to this statue that he had made. And when they heard the sound of music, everybody in the kingdom had to bow down and worship this statue. And of course, no good Jew could follow that decree. That was a violation of the Ten Commandments. You should have no other gods before me. That decree was an insult to the God of Israel. And so some Jews refused. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. And we looked at that story and how they were miraculously saved. Uh, they had been thrown into a fiery furnace, and yet they did not burn. And uh, because they miraculously survived, Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed by that that he issued a decree that everybody in the kingdom has to respect the God of Israel. So you might think, oh, problem solved, right? Culture's been transformed. Now everybody, everybody knows we got we to gotta respect the God of Israel. Well, Maybe that happened for a little span of time. I'm not sure. But what we do know is that by the time King Belshazzar is around, King Belshazzar is mocking Israel's God. King Belshazzar is taking the articles that were stolen from the Jerusalem temple and he's using them to toast to idols. Right? So the problem has not been solved. And once again, God miraculously intervenes. This disembodied hand writes on the wall. And people, you know... Um, so, yeah, the disembodied hand writes on the wall, and you would think at that point, you would think people are going to get the message, right? You would think at this point, people are going to recognize we have to respect the God of Israel. But now, we've got Darius, and again, we're right back to square one. Back to the same thing, right? Once again, the king of this land is issuing a decree that says people have to essentially deny the God of Israel, Right? He's, he's issuing a decree that puts obedience to God and obedience to the state in conflict with each other. So what we need to recognize is that at 80 years old, Daniel is dealing with the same problem that he was dealing with when he was 25. Right? When it comes to transforming this culture, it's like it's one step forward, one step back. One step forward, one step back. And I don't know if any of you can identify with that, but I can. 
that feeling of in life as you're trying to move forward, trying to do something that you think God wants you to do, you know, working on your character, whatever, you know, wanting to see a, a, a church thriving and healthy. Sometimes it feels like one step forward, one step back. Sometimes it just feels like you're fighting the same battles over and over again. Sometimes you feel you're wrestling with the same sin that you're wrestling with 20 years ago. Right? One step forward, one step back. And this story reminds us there's no promise that you're not going to have to fight the same battles again and again and again. All right, continuing in verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So Daniel has a choice, right? Obey God or obey the state. What's he do? He obeys God. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without inter any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. Now, I want to stop here for a moment, and I want us to notice how much Darius cares about Daniel. You know, he's really torn up about this, right? He can't eat, he can't sleep, he is even refusing entertainment. If you have ever been so worried about someone or something that you can't even enjoy watching TV, you know, that's the point that Darius is at. He can't enjoy anything. And what we see here is Daniel had really earned the respect and admiration of the king. He might have even earned his friendship. We don't know that for sure, but it seems like Darius really, really cares about Daniel. And there's something that should be very encouraging to us about that, because Daniel was able to win over the most powerful man in the entire kingdom by living out his faith. Right? That's, that should be inspiring. Daniel maintained a life as a person of integrity and faithfulness, and Darius appreciated him for that. That's awesome. But we're focusing on the bad news this morning, right? <laughs> so here's the negative spin on that, which is number four. 
which is the people we win over can still really let us down. The people we win over can still really let us down. If I were Daniel, I would feel so let down by Darius. You know, I would think, why did you issue that pointless, unnecessary decree? Why were you persuaded to do that? What were you thinking? And I would also think, you know, you are the most powerful man in this entire kingdom. If you want to repeal a decree, just repeal a decree. Who cares about the cultural rules of the Medes and the Persians? Just do it. You have the authority to create the decree in the first place. You should have the decree to take it back, to repeal it. It was a stupid decree, and my life is at stake, so take it back. But Darius doesn't do that, right? He lets cultural pressure overshadow his love and concern for Daniel. So he cares about Daniel, but he also really lets Daniel down. And maybe you've experienced the same thing in your own life. You feel like you've really won the respect and admiration of somebody, maybe somebody in authority or power over you, and yet they have still really let you down. And Daniel lets us know that that is something that can definitely happen to faithful people of integrity. That's the bad news. All right. So that's all the bad news in the story. We can't forget the bad news. But now, let's look at the good news. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So this is the good news of the story. This is the part that gets the most press, and deservedly, deservedly so, right? Daniel trusted in his God, and he was saved. The mouths of the lions were miraculously shut. And I would summarize the message here for us like this. The righteous will not be abandoned. And those who put their trust in the Lord will be saved. The righteous will not be abandoned. They will never be abandoned. And those who put their trust in the Lord will be saved. That is a truth that should take deep root in our hearts. But it has to be accompanied by something that we often weren't told as kids when we heard this story. It has to be accompanied by the recognition that salvation doesn't mean being spared all pain. Right? Salvation doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have to fight the same battles over and over and over again. It's not, it doesn't mean that life isn't going to feel like one step forward, one step back. Salvation doesn't mean that we're going to have the American dream and a long, comfortable retirement on the shore. 
And you know what? Truth be told, salvation doesn't even mean that the lions will never eat us. That's a, re- that's a really hard part uh, of this story to deal with. But we have to recognize, looking at history, sometimes the lions do eat the Christians, right? In the second century, in the Roman Empire, many faithful Christians were killed. And I don't want to be morbid with the details, but some of them were crucified, some of them were burned alive, and some of them were thrown to dangerous animals like leopards and boar and lions, right? And as far as I know, in most of those cases, the mouths of the beasts were not miraculously shut. And, believe it or not, persecution is not just a thing of the past. Uh, Persecution happens today, too. There are places in the world where people can be tortured or killed for for their faith. And people who are faithful to God are not always spared a premature death. People who are faithful to God are not always even spared a a grisly death. I hate to say it. You know, we see this in the Bible, too. John the Baptist is a great example of this. Uh, John was a prophet. He was a contemporary of Jesus. And do you know what Jesus said about John? Jesus said something remarkable about John the Baptist. He said, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Pretty high praise coming from God incarnate, I would say. I mean, those born of women, that's a pretty big pool. (laughs) So John the Baptist had to be one of the most moral and righteous people who's ever lived. But do you know how his life ended? He was beheaded. And he wasn't beheaded because he went astray or lost his faith or something like that. He was beheaded because he took a stand for righteousness, because he was faithful. Uh, He told Herod, the Jewish political leader, that it was not lawful for him to take his brother's wife. Herod didn't like that. And actually, his brother's wife didn't like it either. And uh, so that eventually led to John's beheading. Now, here's my question. Why was Daniel spared a martyr's death? but John the Baptist was not. Anybody? Correct. We don't know. (laughs) Nobody knows. I don't know. But what I do know is this. The good news of the story of Daniel in the lion's den applies to both of them. The righteous will not be abandoned. Those who put their trust in the Lord will be saved. Now, how can we say that? How can we say that? How can we say that if some people who trust in the Lord do get eaten by lions or do get beheaded? How can we say that those who put their trust in the Lord will be saved and not just have it be some sort of denial, willful denial? We can say that because we know an even better story than the story of Daniel. It's the story that Daniel's story foreshadows, and it's the story of Jesus. Just like Daniel, Jesus was put in a cave, and a stone 
was rolled in front and it was sealed. And nobody expected him to come out, right? And just like Daniel, a miracle took place. But here's why Jesus' story is even better than Daniel's. When Jesus was sealed in the tomb, he had already been eaten by the lions, right? Figuratively speaking, he had already been eaten by the lions. He'd been crucified. His flesh had been torn. Jesus had already been thrown into the lion's den, and unlike Daniel, he was not spared. And yet, he still came out of that tomb. Jesus' story shows us that even if the lions rip us apart, it doesn't mean that the Lord can't still save us, right? And I don't know about you, but I think that's the kind of hope we need because last I checked, life has a 100% casualty rate. The good news of the New Testament is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the first fruits of a much bigger harvest. Because Jesus has conquered death, death doesn't have to be the end of us either. Even if the lions eat us, we can be saved. The truth that Daniel was pointing us to, that those who trust in the Lord will be saved and the righteous will not be abandoned, that truth has been confirmed through Jesus Christ. And the reality is that our salvation is not something we earn. It is something that has been won for us. But there is something that we have to do. We trust. We trust in him. You might have noticed at the end of that story, the last verse we looked at said that Daniel had no wound on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. Right? And I know that trust is hard. Trusting in Jesus is hard. Especially trusting when People turn against you when you have to fight the same battles over and over and over again, when you're called out of retirement and you think you're too old to go back into the workforce, whatever, you know, it's hard to trust. But those of us who trust, we can have a confidence that even if we are thrown to the lions and even if the lions eat us, we will not be abandoned and we will be saved because Jesus has won the victory. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this morning, this story would give us hope. We all need hope. But Lord, I pray that it would not give us a false hope, uh, that we would not look at it simplistically and think that this means that we're all just going to be spared from any pain, any hardship, if we just do what's right, We'll get to take it easy. Help us to see, Lord, that that's not what this story tells us at all. But Lord, may it still lead us to rejoice. We thank you, Lord, that through Christ you have conquered death and that we can overcome this world. In Jesus' name, amen.